Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. I do not like the title for this. as I will try to come up with something better. But I've entitled it Playing for Keeps. This isn't a game, I understand that. But how many of you know that what that means? It's, a, it's a, an American idiom, meaning that this is serious. This is, you know, that, you know it's kind of like when I was a kid and we were hot rodders and somebody would say, let's run for pinks. In other words, whoever wins gets the other guy's car, you know, and the pink, you know. So we're playing for keeps and there is, we'll get into it. I want to start with the scripture here. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, his, ver- his introduction, the very first words from the tip of his pen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, meaning the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I want you to just think about that, that if we really believe that everything around us came into being and and remains in him, it says over in Colossians, all things hold together, says something similar in Hebrews that if we really believe that, how it can completely changes our worldview, how it, it affects it. All right. This is, you know, Jesus is God's ultimate revelation of himself to us. The Gospel of John was written not to the Gentiles, but to the church. Now, that doesn't mean that a Gentile or a non-believer can't get anything out of it. Certainly they can. But each of the Gospels was written to a certain audience. And when we interpret what's being said there, we have to put ourselves in that mindset. Matthew was written to the Jews. Mark was written to the Romans. Luke was written to the Gentile world in general. But John was written to the church. John was written to us. He had believers for an intended audience. And there, I understand that there is a great debate among some scholars concerning the date and time of authorship and the order of authorship between John and the Gospel of John and Revelation. But I personally believe, and I am far from being alone in that, that the Gospel of John was written last, that the Revelation was first, and then on Patmos, and then God, uh, John wrote his gospel later. Because the gospel, there is so much in Revelation that if you understand it, explains what John is saying. And his description of the second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh walking this earth amongst us. So when John wants to get our attention and to get us focused and he gives us the direction he's he's laying, you know what is you know what are the three rules of public speaking tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and tell them what you told them that's the truth tell them what you're going to tell them then tell them then tell them what you told them 
And John starts out with, in the beginning was the Word. It all hinges on the Word. It all hinges on the living Word, Jesus of Nazareth, and, it, and, and the written Word, the Logos. Amen. In his earthly ministry and here. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It is the Word that is the creator and sustainer, Colossians 1 and 17, of everything. He is the ultimate and full revelation of the God of the universe. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he made the world. Amen. And he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the father's glory. And the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did the word become flesh? Because the, the, the revelation of God through the law, while being accurate was incomplete. We know that because the author of Hebrews tells us in 7 and 19 that the law made nothing perfect. Jesus came to reveal the nature and the very character of the God of the universe. At, in, fact, in fact, at one point, Philip says to him, just show us the Father and it's good enough for, good enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, how have you walked with me this long and you don't, you're unaware of the fact that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. If you've watched me, you have watched the Father in action. And notice, let's go back to John chapter 1 again. Let's pick it up with verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Full of grace and truth. Wow. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, he comes at, who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. For of his fullness, and that's a very loaded word in Greek. Of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were realized. Everybody say realized. Made manifest. Made ours. Amen. You know when I was in the army. I knew that on a certain day. I would once again be a civilian. Sort of. I would still have some reserve time left. And it was the day, estimated termination of service, ETS. And everybody really looked forward, it wasn't a lifer, was really looking forward to their ETS. And there would be days that it would seem like it was never going to happen. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And then the day came when I got my orders. And then the day came that we got on, I was in West Berlin, surrounded by 55 Soviet divisions to say nothing of the East German army. This was back before the wall fell. And when you got on that Pan American, now that'll date you. 
Pan American 707 to head to JFK. We in the, uh, in the uh, Army used to refer to that flight as the Freedom Bird. And that day came. Realize all the Old Testament saints were looking forward to what God did. And when Jesus came, that was the day. That was the day. And he walked. Now, God is available. And not just God, but his power. Where it says grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. That includes Adam, by the way. Adam walked in the garden with the word. He didn't walk with the father. Why? Because Adam was a man. No man. And that includes people who started cults that are big around here. Has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father. He has explained him. He has revealed the father to us. This grace thing is very important that Jesus brought grace because Ephesians 2 and 8 and everybody in here can quote that or virtually all of us for by grace you have been saved through faith. What saved us? Grace. It travels by faith. I mean if you go out there and get a drink you're drinking water but that water got here through a pipe. Amen. And that, that, uh, that grace, the faith, is the pipe. It is the channel. When we believe God, that faith in Him allows that grace to come and to save us and to transform us. Everybody say amen. It's good. All right. And Jesus brought salvation to humanity. How were the Old Testament saints saved? They were saved by faith just like we are. Amen. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so they were saved the same way we are. But now we have the name. God has come in the person. God has put on a face and come in the person of Jesus. And in John 14 and verses 5 and 6, Jesus says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Because he said, where I'm going, you cannot come, but you'll come later. And Thomas said, wait a minute, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everybody say no one. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way. In chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Quoted that one just a few minutes ago. And in John chapter 8, and he, verses, verse 23, and he was saying to the Pharisees, you are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I'm not from this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Somebody might say, well, gosh, that's narrow. Yes, it is. We live in an age when inclusion is one of the highest goods. You know, it doesn't matter what you're vacuuming up in that inclusion. It might be a lot of stuff that's, that's toxic. 
But, oh, but, but we want to be inclusive. That's funny. I read over in Ephesians chapter 2 that God isn't fra- afraid to exclude people. He does. Paul even says it. Back in your Gentile days, you were living in the, you were living by the lust of your flesh, etc. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and strangers to the promises. You know, I don't know how people who are universalists who say, well, everybody's going to heaven. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Paul said. That's not what Peter said. That's not what Jude said. That's not what James said. But we live in an age when people do not feel the least bit hesitant to contradict the scripture. In fact, in John 3, very famous passage of scripture, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to get this straight. I realize here in this body, we are thoroughly orthodox in this belief. But as you get out there on the street, you are going to hear a multitude, a plethora of of, of opinions about how so many different roads lead to heaven. No, there's only one. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That's the way it works. It's just like the woman at the well. He said, I'll give you living water. And she goes, you haven't even got a bucket. How are you going to do that? We immediately go to natural things. That's where our minds go. It's what, you know, God understands that. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be gobsmacked that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, what's born again mean? Born again means that I go from death into life. And that is the action, that is the activity, that is the operation of the grace of God on my spirit. Everybody say amen. I hope somebody doesn't explode over there. <laughs> I keep hearing a beeping. You know. Anyway, uh, John, uh, let's see. The only way is to be, okay, coming to John chapter 10. I'm the door. If anyone, you know, he says, I am the door. If anyone he enters through me, he will be saved and go in and go out and find pasture. And then in verse 10, listen to this. He goes on to say, oh, well, actually, I want to back up and hit one other thing he said in John 3. John 3, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. I'm not a reformer. The reformers believe in Calvinism, predestination, and that God chooses the ones who are going to be saved and God chooses the ones who are not going to be saved. But I read in the scripture that in 1 John that Jesus died not just for our sins, but those of the whole world. I also read that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. Everybody say all men. All men men unto me. 
And it says that he is back there in John chapter one, that he is the light who coming into the world enlightens every man. We know from Romans chapter one, no one will stand before God able to say, I didn't know. Because even as children, the Lord, the, the spirit begins to deal with him in his provenient grace that that idol or this science or whatever it is, is not God. That there is a creator and a sustainer to the universe who reaches out to them in love. And in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Now look what happens here. He turns it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it abundantly or another rendering of that equally accurate and abundance. Notice he doesn't say now if a thief comes. No, the thief will come. He has come. He doesn't come. He, he comes to create smoke screens. He comes to create illusions. He comes appealing to our ego, appealing to our flesh, appealing to our love of sin, trying to get us to adopt worldviews and understanding that seem so inclusive and so wonderful, yet are in rejection of the scripture. We see it in the sower, uh, the parable of the sower and the soils, which shows up in all the synoptic gospels. But I'll pick Mark chapter four, verses 14 and 15. And he says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road, which the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Snatching the word. In fact, Luke, in his version of it, says, and, and Jesus preached this more than once, believe me. Uh, it says that the, the, he comes in, Luke 8 and 5 says he comes and snatches the word out of their heart so that they won't believe. And he has a great many ways of doing this. We are surrounded by a culture that is being bombarded and live in a culture that is being bombarded with lies and with doctrines of demons to try to get us to apostatize and move away from the faith of the church. The faith that is historical in Jesus of Nazareth. Saving faith. The word around us, the, the devil, I should say, works very hard with his demonic lieutenants to get knock us off of our game, to knock us off of focus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, I apparently did not put that in the list that I've, I've got so many scriptures today that, you know, when I, I barely was able to fit them on the front and back. There have been occasions when I've handed Susan back there, two, uh, you know, two sheets. It's like, oh my goodness. But in Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse one, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according, following the, uh, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now operating, for that's the word, and again, oh, there, we talked about that last week, working in the sons of disobedience. That spirit that is operating in the world around us. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, look at this, has blinded 
the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Have you ever known somebody who was so blind to the truth that it, you could tell you were like it, trying to describe spiritual things to them was like trying to dis, describe colors to someone born blind. They just couldn't get it because their minds are so captivated and in, in captivity to the natural. The, you know, I and it's all about it's all about. Uh, distraction. It's all about delusion and distraction. In fact, that's why it says we must pay closer attention to the gospel as we drift away from it. When I was a young GI in West Berlin, when it was still West Berlin, I'd been filled with the spirit and on fire for God for just a few months. And they changed my subsystem and moved me into another one. And there was a young man in there, a very nice guy who was a Mormon. And I'd heard of the Mormon church, but I knew nothing about it. Now, around here, a lot of people know a lot about the Mormon church, obviously. And I, you know, he was saying, oh, yeah, we believe that. Oh, yeah, we believe that. And we, we were talking about our faith. He's, oh, yeah, we believe that. But then I said something to somebody else in my church about it. And he said, well, yes and no. And so... He, you know, and, and Harry, the guy that I was that I was with whom I was conversing there said, you know, well, you know what? You ought to just read the Book of Mormon. See what you think. You know, you ought to read it. And I've never I still haven't. But um, I've read chunks of it, pieces of it. But, you know, and a friend of mine even said, I said, you know, I think I'm going to read it. I mean, he, th you know, I guess I would need to be able. Well, you know what? It's one thing to read it when you know a lot, but it's another thing to read it when you are young in the Lord. And impressionable. And you're talking about somebody and they're really into good works. They can really roll that stuff out there. That's true. And so I said, well, OK, he said, have somebody praying for you when you do that. I said, would you volunteer for that? And so. I never read it. And the reason I didn't read it was because how many of you believe? And we're, we're going to talk about this. Not today, but God speaks to people in visions and dreams. Uh, Joel 2.28, Acts chapter 2. Those things are specifically mentioned. Now, that doesn't mean that every dream you have is from God. Some of it is pizza. I realize that pizza dreams. They're out there, you know, but. I had, you know, it was one of the first times that God spoke to me in a dream. And in that dream, I, you know, it, it, it was almost kind of corny because it looked like, you know, how many of you have ever been to a Baptist church that had a pulpit Bible that was so big that it almost take two people to carry it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And they have this big thing in the front, you know, and it's this huge Bible. It's really, they're nice. I'm they're pretty. I'm not knocking it, you know. And in my dream, that's what I saw. I saw one of these massive Pulpit Bibles open kind of to the middle, and I don't even remember what it was, if it was sitting on a, you know, what it was sitting on a table or something. And I mean, Hollywood could never do better than this. A light was shining down from heaven on it. Just the clap. How many of you know God will speak to us in the way we understand? And I'm looking at this Bible, and then up, uh, if you're facing it, up on the upper right hand corner of the, the, the picture, my view, 
descended a being of indescribable beauty. It's like, whoa. And I saw him look around and then, and out of his mouth came hundreds and hundreds of books all over the Bible that I was seeing, all over the floor, all over. Yeah, there was a table, come to think of it. There was a the bench or whatever it was it was sitting on. And I, I, didn't, I, I, I looked around like, what on earth? And then I, my attention was drawn. And over here on this side, it's propped up as if it were leaning against the wall, was the Book of Mormon. And I went, you know what? Don't think I need to read that. You know, even in my very, very young spiritual state, I knew exactly what that meant. Now, somebody might say, aren't you afraid you're going to offend somebody when you talk that way? And believe me, I, it is not my desire to offend Mormons or community of Christ or Buddhists or Hindus or Shintos or, you know, Muslims, any of those people. I don't want to offend them. Jesus loves us all equally. And he calls us all in. But Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says this. Do not answer a fool, that's an unbeliever, according to his folly, or you will be also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you can, that you can mas massage the scripture to satisfy their perversion. Today, the church seems to be going out of its way to try to figure out how we can get LGBTQ or whatever under the, you know, God blesses this tent. Not so. We must speak the truth. In love, yes, but we must. Jesus, the living word, gave full approval to the Old Testament. In Luke 24, verses 44, he said to the apostles, I put that in, in brackets because them, these are the, my words which I spoke to you while I was still living, uh, with you, rather, that all these things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. You've got the historical books. You, that, which they would include under the law of Moses. You know, the, you've, you've got the Pentateuch, the prophets, the Psalms. Jesus said it's all real. It's all God. I don't know where people get off today saying, well, we really don't need the Old Testament. Oh, yes, we do. In fact, he even said to the Pharisees, you don't even believe Moses. And if you don't believe his works, how are you going to believe me? If we want our faith to truly grow and be profound, we need to understand what was written before. And we need to understand that what is given us in Genesis is absolutely, positively, 100. It's not a, the Bible is not a science book. I understand that. But it is a book of truth. In John 5. Another one that I managed to miss. Fortunately, I know where it is. I'm reminded of Foghorn Leghorn. How many of you know who that is? The big chicken in the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons where he says, fortunately, I keep my feathers numbered for just such an occasion. 
in John chapter 5. I just quoted it actually. Do not think that I accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If I don't read, study, and understand the Old Testament. I'm telling you, you cannot understand Revelation apart from Ezekiel. No way. You cannot read the book of Hebrews. And if you haven't read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it is, it, it's, it, it's, you, you miss two-thirds of what's in there. Jesus tells them the Old Testament is valid. And again, the law is incomplete. It was good. But today we've got an entire generation that goes through and cherry picks what they wish to believe. I'll take this. You know what? Spirituality is not, true faith is not a cafeteria line. Does anybody here not know what a cafeteria is? When I first moved up here, we had Luby's. How many of you remember Luby's over at, at, at uh, Independence Center up here at the mall? You go in and there was Luby's. Okay, how long ago was that? You know, well, that was about 1907. Luby's was a cafeteria. You went into Luby's and the way that it worked was you'd go down the line and they had all these, this food and steamers or whatever was, or, you know, refrigerated, whatever was appropriate. And you'd tell the lady, I want a little bit of that. Give me a little bit of this. Kind of sounds like school, right? God says plate lunch. You don't get to make any substitutions on the plate lunch at school. That's why I always went to the short order line and had a hamburger. You know, because I, mystery meat wasn't my thing. And so, you know, you, you can't go through and say, I like that. I like this part about grace and mercy and everything like that. Ooh, be ye holy for I am holy. Quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't want that part. That's Old Testament. Well, it's quoted by Paul in the New Testament. Hmm. I don't get to pick and choose. Everybody say amen. That's what's called eclecticism. I elect. I'm, I'm eclectic. I just take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of something else, you know. And everybody from L, you know, the LGBTQ folks are over and everything want to just pick what they want for the scriptures and either reinterpret it or throw it out. And in fire, an entire swath of modern Christianity, the emerging church uh, uh, movement, wants to deconstruct the scriptures. And that goes back to a French philosopher rooted in postmodernism. In other words, I'm going to go through the scripture and decide what I think is really true. That makes me a judge of scripture rather than scripture judging me. Everybody's really quiet today. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says, in later times, some will fall away from the faith. That means to apostatize. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines, teachings of demons. You don't get around that. 
Demonic spirits are out here. The devil comes to steal the word, to snatch the word, right? You ever have doubts just suddenly arise in your heart or you see something and you go, huh, like that? The enemy can really come with feelings. He can come with, well, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I really want. Before it closed up here on Nolan Road, Krispy Kreme Donuts. How many of you remember Krispy Kreme? And they even had a sign, hot now. And it's like, you know, I, 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 I remember seeing a, a, a cartoon with Porky Pig. We're just really going all out today. Where he was, I think it was Porky Pig, where, you know, his adversary or whatever was making some sort of food. And you see the aroma of the food because it, it shows it as a kind of a cloud. And it goes out into Porky's room and it puts its fingers, a hand appears at the end of it, puts its fingers in his nose and begins to drag him to the food. He's, ah. Uh. That's the lust of the flesh. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good meal. Clearly. All right. But that is the way the enemy works. He will come and he'll say, you, you know, it, it's like, when I'm driving by Krispy Kreme, I'm on this diet. I've lost five pounds. I've got 10 more I want to lose. And I see that hot now. Hot now. <laughs> Amen. Those fingers are there. Well, actually, it's like the hand doing this. You know, that'd be a better one. You know, and I say, well, I'm not going to go in. I'll just pull into the parking lot and look. This is just like the character over in Proverbs. Passing by the way, he takes the way to her house. He knows better than this. And so I go, you know what? I'm not going to eat any donuts. I'm just going to go inside and look. Here we go. The minute I open the door, that smell, you know, that aroma, I should say. That's a better way to put it. I can't remember where I was the other day, but I was just downwind from, I think it was a Texas roadhouse over here. And I went, oh my, I wasn't hungry until I smelled that. The fact is the enemy knows how to tempt. He knows how to come and he knows how to, it, to help us to um, justify, to rationalize sin. Those are demonic spirits that do that. Amen. And it goes on to say, look at this. Um, it says, paying attention, following, deceitful spirits, lying spirits, and doctrines of demons, teachings of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. What does that mean? It means in their heart of hearts, at least early on, they knew it was off. They knew it was wrong. And they continued to just tell themselves, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Nothing to see here. I'm not doing anything wrong. In John chapter 1 and verse 17, we read it. Grace and truth. Grace and truth are traveling companions. Jesus told his apostles, make disciples of all nations, not converts. We need to grow 
in our faith. We are at risk if we just try to tread water. How many of you know what I'm saying? All right. Um, he, this means drilling down in the scripture. It means learning the scriptures. It means being under the ministry of someone who is a teacher. To preach means to proclaim. To teach means to explain. And I remind you, it's not what you eat that really helps you. How I many of you know a lot of what you eat does not help you? It's what you digest. That is what helps you. And teaching helps us to digest it. And where a, a disciple is one who disciplines himself, disciplines herself to apply the teaching of Scripture to their life. John 16, 8 through 4. And when he... The spirit of truth come. Well, actually, back up, back up. John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized. We use that. Grace and truth. The power of God, the reality of God were realized through Jesus Christ. And when he, the spirit of truth comes, John 16, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Hear me. I don't care who they are or what leftist stuff they're spewing, the Holy Spirit is still interested in convicting that individual, talking to that individual about the truth, because God wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth as well. Just because they have been a tool in the hands of the enemy does not mean that God does not love them and does not want to save them. He goes on to say, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father because you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't get your heads wrapped around it. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he won't speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose. He will reveal it. He will show you. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Don't try to talk to somebody who is not a believer about the finer points of redemption. Because the Holy Spirit is there to talk to them about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because they believe not on me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father. And judgment, because the rule of this world has been cast out. You don't tell me that these people out here. How many of you know that out in the world, even the people who are worldlings, they are unbelievers. They know something's wrong. They know that things are headed in a negative direction. They have a foreboding sense of the future. They do. So that's why we are instructed to pray in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Everybody say all men. It says, for kings and those who are in authority, yes, but not just them, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires how many men? All, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I've done this illustration multiple times, but who knows who's watching that hasn't seen it. But I want to talk about, briefly... The prevenient grace of God. I'll write it up here. That's an R.
the prevenient grace of God. That is what Jesus was describing when he said he will convict the world. Now, how many of you know sinners that are good people? No, they're not born again, but they're good people. But then you know other sinners that you would never use those terms. Good. Because they're, you know, they're, you know, I won't, I won't say whack job. We'll just say they're, they're as far away from, you know, as they can, you know, as they can be. And I use the illustration of the teeter-totter or the balance, right? And so, Holy Spirit, if you would come. And I'll use Michael for the enemy today. He's like, oh, great. <laughs> now, I am just your average human being, okay, for purposes of our illustration. Average human beings are born because of the th- our family of origin, culture of origin, you know, the things that happen to us in school or whatever. We all have a worldview that we form pretty early on. And some people, you know, God wants us to tilt toward the Holy Spirit. Whenever, you know, the Spirit comes to you in a yellow cloud, you know. (laughs) The, you know, and so some people are good people. They're just a little off. You know, not very far. I mean, Jesus even said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Well, was that person in the kingdom? No, he said, you are not far. He didn't say you're in. He says, you're not far. And so they're just a little off. And some people are a little further off. And then some of the people you know are more like this. If this doesn't look possible from our perspective, that they'll ever get tilted toward God. But that's why Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of it. And so what happens is prevenient grace is the species of grace. And Jim, if you would, that brings me, even with the enemy's resistance. Let me up, Mike. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That brings me to the place of equilibrium where now I am the one making the choice. You see, if we go, if, if, if Jim brought me all the way down. No, take me to see. He's made the choice for me. That's that is that hard predestination where, you know, I, I'm unconditionally elected and I don't get a say so over it. No, that, the, the scripture says that we all have a will. And so God brings me to the place that, you know, nobody's going to be able to say, well, I couldn't believe my dad beat me. My cousins, you know, treated me horrible. You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, you if you Lord, if you knew my growing up, if you knew what I endured when I was growing up and don't get me wrong, I'm not minimizing that. Some people endured pure hell growing up. I get it. But I know that the father in the midst of it by in his provenient grace brings us to the place where we're even, it's an even keel. We're no longer leaning toward darkness. And so the decision I make is mine alone. I cannot blame anyone else for it. Now, here's the cool part. The reason that he has us to pray is like, you know, here's, here the devil has, you know, hold of it. And here's what God's wanting to do. Dolly, if you'd come. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Note the yellow. 
<laughs> working on both. This is all. On, no, I need you on this side. You know, you're going to slap that devil around. When they, <laughs> and so, you know, here's Jim. Here's the Holy Spirit trying to bring me to an even keel. But boy, the enemy's over here just fighting me. And this is the Holy Spirit who through our prayers, through our prayers, comes from, see, you can't, <laughs> I needed an enthusiastic spirit and I got one. <laughs> Thank you guys, I appreciate it. Let's give, they did great. <laughs> the point is that through our prayers, we cannot push them over because God won't. We can't. And he won't. Because God gives each and every one of us the dignity of choice. I say so often at the end of our webcast that if you will give your heart to Jesus, if you will embrace him as Savior, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It does not matter how horrible your life has been to this point. He said, no one who comes, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Because the blood of Christ is the propitiation, the payment in full. The same word, helasterion, means payment in full. And it means to completely wipe away. We are justified by faith. Just as if I'd never sinned. And as we pray, we can't look at that politician going, Get him, God! Fire, come down and consume that bumbling idiot. Now you think you know who I'm talking about, but I, 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 maybe you don't. Con, consume that whatever, fill in the negative. Remember what Jesus, when the Samaritans who were the mongrels, who were the elect, they were the eclectic ones. Who had included all kinds of pagan stuff in there. Yeah, they, they worshipped Yahweh. And that, you know, the woman, at, uh, the woman at the well, she said, you people say Jerusalem's where you ought to work, worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And what did Jesus tell her? He was nice about it, but he said, you're wrong. Salvation is from the Jews. You worship what you, you guys don't know what you're doing. We do. Read it. John chapter 8, it's in there. Jesus wasn't afraid. Why? Because he knew if he didn't tell her the truth, she was going to go to hell. Straight to hell. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. And he wanted her to make it. And she did. She did. Thank you, Jesus. Second Thess, we'll, if our musicians would come, we'll bring this in for a landing. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren. You know when a preacher says finally, what does it mean? <laughs> Nothing. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did with you also, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. What is he saying? 
Pray for us that we may preach. Pray for us that that word would go out and that it would spread rapidly and be glorified. We can pray for the lost and God will on our behalf for, for our prayer's sake. And you can pray for that relative or that neighbor or that politician or whatever it is that you so despise. When you say, I just want to take that person and just like that, take, take them out, tie them to a tree and pray for them all night. What did you think I was going to say? We can pray for other Christians who are messed up. We can pray for lost people. God will respond, moving on their hearts, opening the eyes of our heart. For I, this is one of the things that Jane or uh, Jean likes to say: If you have a harder head, God has a harder has a bigger hammer. Jesus came to seek and save, not just to seek, but to seek and save. Luke 19.10, that which was lost. And we're part of that effort. And by the way, the word lost means damned. Came to seek and save those who were damned. There is a hell. Hell, the lake of fire, does exist. That isn't hell. Hell's another place. The lake of fire is where you go after hell. I mean, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire. And we can expect when we pray for people for God to hear and answer that prayer. Oh, Father, in the name, when it says to pray for the government, you know, it's a joke. It's a standing joke in the men's fellowship prayer meeting on Monday mornings. It's like, okay, who's going to get government duty today? Because we always pray for the government. And anytime somebody misses a couple of weeks, they'll say, well, it looks like government duty is going to be mine for a while. In other words, I'm going to be in the penalty box. Praying for the government. Amen. But the fact is, if we quit praying, then who did we just hand the government to? When we pray, God will answer. He will do that. Somebody said, I just can't see him saving that person. Well, maybe he just pulls that and removes that person. Whatever God wants us to do, wants to do. Amen. We've got to be eternity minded in our approach to life. Let me tell you something. It's our time down here. We haven't got much time left, and not just because I'm going to be 70 in a little over a year and a half. All right? Things in our world are rapidly turning to what we see in the Revelation. And people's hearts are either going to melt or they're going to harden. There is going to be no two ways. There is a division, the light or the darkness. Melting in the hand of God or hardening the hearts where we say to the mountains, come fall on us and hide us from the face of him who lives forever and ever. What a, what a, what a horrible thing to think would actually work. We can't make the choices for them, but we can pray. And God can get through that blinding that the enemy where it says he's blinded their minds, God can go around their mind and start talking to their heart. And that can filter up. And, and you know, some of us were, in, were there where our brains were pickled. But God in his spirit revealed himself to our spirit. And the change began to take place because the grace of God went from prevenient when we cried out to him it became saving grace. And then as we walk with him, it became
providing grace, healing grace, preaching grace. Hallelujah. Those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and your Savior, I've been talking about that basically all morning, that everything that's happening in the world today is either God squeezing the enemy out or ripping the, um, the, the veil so that all of the wickedness and the lies and the deception are being revealed. The scripture is clear. There are wild and crazy things and wild and crazy days ahead. You think what we've seen so far has been a rough ride? Yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get crazier. But our Father has everything well in hand. We need not worry. But if you do not belong to Jesus, you are excluded. You are on the outside looking in. Jesus said, you must. That Greek construction makes it clear. There's no way around this. You must be born again. How do you, how am I born again? I call upon the name of Jesus. I say, Father, I believe in my heart and I confess with my lips that Jesus is your son and that you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my savior. This is not a formula. This is a commitment. You can say the words without meaning them. You can say the words as a formula. That's no good. It has to be a heart commitment to Him. Well, I don't understand everything. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to believe it. Would you pray that way today? Would you call on Him that His grace could flow and save your immortal soul from an eternity in the lake of fire? We want you to come in. He wants you to come in. He loves you. And he's reaching out to you now. Christian, are you all in? Are you a disciple? Are you doing the things? Why? Because of the days to come. It, it, you know, stirring it with your finger and being half-hearted about it will not do. Your faith is going to have to be strong. You're going to have to hear the voice of the Lord. It's imperative. Make the commitment not to be eclectic. Okay, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. No, no. You just say, Lord, I don't. But Lord, I'm not willing to do this. Well, then take a half step toward God. Take the baby step and say, Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Give him the door. Give him the opportunity to come into your life. Give him permission. You'll say, I'm, you won't be sorry. I promise you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's we hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.